Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. That's pretty intense, isn't it? There's another passage in Psalm that says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. So, wow, what, what positive and encouraging um, but convicting words for us today as, as, we, as we come together. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. That is an aspect of worship that is, that is pretty much non-negotiable for us as Christ followers and believers. We are to worship God. Why? Because he's God. Amen? So uh, today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 11. That's going to be our key passage. We'll be digging into some um, sections of Romans, digging into Deuteronomy, digging into Luke. Um, So strap in and hang on, all righty? So... When we gather at church and we sit and we talk um, and we listen to different teachers teach, how many of you have like certain, certain things and certain subjects about um, scripture or about theology or about doctrine that you go, yeah, I really like this. this. This is my favorite sort of stuff. Love it when we talk about what, Kevin? Atonement. Ooh, big word too. I like that. I love it when we talk about atonement. I love it when we talk about grace. grace. Oh, how many how many is a big grace fan when it comes to, to, to church services? Yeah, grace. I love it when we talk about justification. justification. Woo! So we can get the big three right out of the way. Justification, sanctification, and at the end, glorification. All right, are you ready? Here's a good one. You ready? Wrath. Woo! Wrath. Wrath. What? Oh, mm. Can can we skip that one today? Woo! So Jesus tackles wrath. Um, To kind of get a little bit of a a topic on this, let's real quick turn to um, Romans 12, if you have your Bibles. Because one of the things that we have found is that wrath is not something that people really like to talk about. Um, Wrath is not something that um, Christ followers are sometimes really comfortable with. But I can promise you that unbelievers who get in debates with believers... One of their ultimate default go-tos is, you serve a God that's mean. You serve a God that's vengeful, that's angry. Are they right? But why? Let's turn to Romans, Romans chapter 1. I want to read this to you. Um, Because this is uncomfortable. I mean, discussing wrath makes us uncomfortable. But wrath 
in and of itself is, is couched and coupled with some other amazing truths that we're going to, that we're going to dig into today. But Romans 1, starting at verse 18, says this, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against what? All ungodliness, right? And unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Amen. Amen. I want to skip some here for just a second because I, I, want, to, I want to kind of package all this together. So it says, For the wrath of God is revealed against heaven or from heaven against not some ungodliness, not parts and pieces of ungodliness, but ungodliness. So if, if his wrath is manifest against ungodliness, what's the opposite of ungodliness? Godliness. Is there, is there a gray area? Hold that thought. And unrighteousness of men. So ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, there must be an opposite. There has to be an an opposite. Hold that thought. Verse 24, therefore God gave them up to their lusts of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Verse 26, for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. So what is wrath? God's justice and the execution of God's justice. So in Romans 1, it's giving us a picture of what wrath looks like. So the first thing that God did in his wrath is God gave them up to their lusts, to their impure hearts, to the dishonoring of their bodies. God gave them up to their dishonorable passions. Verse 28, and since they did not see see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind. To do what ought not to be done. Verse 32. Wrath. Though they know God's righteous decree. That those who practice such things deserve to. What? Die. Wrath. This is, this is tough stuff. Romans 3.23 says what? For the wages of sin is death. Wrath is not a comfortable thing to talk about in churches today. Is it something that we should be discussing? Is it something we should be talking about? So let's think through for just a minute that is wrath a part of God's character? Absolutely. You, you can't extract wrath 
from God. It's part of his divine perfection that is the acting out of his perfect wisdom and perfect justice. I've said this before. There, there, there's a definition of love that I think is, is, is amazing. God's love is manifest three ways. Did you know that? God's love is manifest through his justice. Because God in his righteousness, and we're going we're gonna to actually unpackage a little bit more of the opposite of the wrath when we get into this a little bit further. But, but the definition of, of God's love is manifest three ways. God's love is manifest justly. We get what we deserve because God is righteous. God's love is manifest through us mercifully. He is merciful. We don't get what we deserve. It's still love. Mercy is extended to us by us not getting what we deserve. And then God's love is manifest to us through grace. That amazing grace, that lavish grace, which is we get what we don't deserve. It's still love. So in, in this discussion today, when we, when we break into Matthew 11, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm scratching right now, and I'm, it's an awkward thing. I threw hay out to the horses this morning, and it got down my shirt, and, and I'm itching. I haven't had that feeling since I was a little kid, and you used to get a haircut, and it'd get all down your... So I, don't, I don't get that anymore, but I threw hay down, and so if, I'm trying not to itch, but forgive me. So in this, in this thought that... that there is wrath involved in who God is. We have to keep this in the forefront of our thinking that this is still an attribute and a character of God because God is right and God is righteous. Turn with me, if you would, to Deuteronomy chapter 32. Because not only is, is, is God's wrath part of who he is in, in the acting out of of pronouncing justice. But what would God be like if God was either indifferent to sin, minimized sin, glossed over sin, brushed it aside? What if God was like that? He would no longer be, he would no longer be God. Let's look at, let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 32 and, and listen to this, verse 3 and 4. This is Moses' song. It's an act of worship. It's an act of declaration. But listen to what, listen to what Moses says about the God he serves. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. Dwayne Johnson ain't got nothing on, on God. All the young people got that, right? Yeah. The rock. His work is what? Perfect. 
for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Now, I don't know about you, but if, but if we constantly talked about that God, I'd be going, woohoo, yeah, that's the kind of God I want to serve. That's the God I want to have in my corner. That's the God I want to be affiliated with, right? Upright, just. He's the rock. He does no wrong. Everything he does is perfect. Everything he does is just. Go down a little bit further to verses 39 through 41. See now that even I am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill, and I make alive. I wound, and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. For I lift up my hand to heaven and swear, as I live forever, if I sharpen my flashing sword, and my hand takes hold on my judgment, I will take vengeance on my adversaries and repay those who hate me. Are we still talking about the same God? We are still talking about the same God. That the same God who is the creator and sustainer is the one that can pronounce judgment and take life. It's uncomfortable. Wrath is uncomfortable. Let me read something interesting to you. However, we must realize that God always acts in accordance with what is right. And he in himself is the final standard of what is right. I think as a church, we would be much more greatly disappointed if God did not act in accordance with his righteousness. Especially in regard to sin and immorality. Amen? We are in difficult times right now. I don't know if you all have noticed, but it is very, very difficult right now out there in the world today. And I think things are getting very polar. But here's what I think is very ironic about that polarization. It's always been there. Do you know why it's always been there? Because there's one standard of right. There's black and white. There is not gray. And I think what's very interesting today in society that we are seeing, and it's not just a United States thing. I think that we are beginning to see it becoming very clear right and wrong. We're going we're gonna to dig into this a little bit later. I'm going to give you a big phrase, moral relativism. We're going to kind of unpackage that a little bit. But 
but, but this is some difficult times. And so what I'd like to do is um, unpackage wrath, okay, as Jesus discusses it in, in Matthew, but couple that with two other thoughts, repentance and humility, okay? Got it? So I wanted to get wrath out of the way. So that we're all, we're all kind of on, on the same page. Wrath is just as much a part of God's divine, holy character as grace. Because God is love. Amen? Love is defined. God's love is defined as justice, mercy, and grace. Extended on all people. So let's unpackage that. If you would, let's turn to Matthew then. Matthew chapter 11, we're going we're gonna to start in verse 20. Matthew 11, verse 20. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. So, so picture this, that, 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 that this is in, in context of where we've been, that Jesus has a following. He's, he's within the three years of his earthly ministry. He is a homeless wanderer giving you some of his human characteristics because he's still God, right? All of the aspects of the divine nature of God is in Jesus Christ. He is righteous. He is just. He is holy. But being fully God and fully man, here he is on the earth dwelling among us, and he starts unleashing So here's this guy that people have been following, people have been checking out. Again, not everybody completely believes that Jesus is, is the Messiah, but he is, he's pretty, he's pretty um, alluring. He's, he's, I can get behind this guy. This is, this is pretty interesting. There are some that probably followed as skeptics, some that probably followed as, man, if this is working out and he is the Messiah, let's get on the good side, Right? But he begins to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. They did not change their ways. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. If Tyre and Sidon had seen what you've seen, they'd have repented long ago. Not only repented, but in sackcloth and ashes. That contextually meant something to them. We don't, we don't walk around that way. How many of you own sackcloths that you've got in your closet that you put on for certain occasions? Right? No, nobody? 
Nobody in their new fashion sense, new fashion trend, sackcloth and ashes. To them, that meant something that was completely debased, that the best that you could wear was sackcloth and you covered yourself in ashes as as you've been burned. It's just, you're down, you're low. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted in heaven? Mm -mm. You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. A little uncomfortable, isn't it? This is not the, this is not the fun, easy, make you feel better about yourself sermons that a lot of people like to teach. This is serious. This is serious stuff. So there's a direct message that is, that is given to these, to these cities, right? What is it? Nah. Jesus shows up. What kind of works does Jesus do? According to scripture here, what does he say he did? Mighty works. Amazing things that happened that, that people were watching and witnessing miracles taking place. Again, we don't know what all of these were, but we do, have, we do have access in the other parts of the Gospels of some of the miracles that Jesus did. What are some of the miracles that Jesus did? Water into wine. Healed the lepers. That's an amazing one. Man, we could, we could talk for hours on healing lepers. Because one of the most amazing things that I love about that story of healing lepers is how did Jesus heal a leper? He touched him. To, to, the, to, the, to the right right and righteous Pharisees and Jews to touch something unclean. Oh, you are now just as unclean. What other miracles do we have in Scripture that we know Jesus performed? I'm sorry? Gave the blind sight, another great one, another great story. Spit on the ground, made mud, rubbed it all over his eyes and said, go wash and watch what happens. Brought the dead to life. If that's not God, who is he? But what do these cities do? What do these cities do? Now I'm using my inside voice. Was that that level two or level three inside voice? I don't remember. My my kids, I I yell at them all the time just because I talk so loudly. That was weird. 
I just lost my train of thought. Where was I? They did. They were indifferent. They pretty much were like, eh. So you healed somebody. Good for them. Somebody's blind? That's pretty, yeah, that's pretty bad. He got lucky. He can see now. Good for him. Eh. Oh, you raised somebody from the dead? Jesus pronounce, pronounces judgment. Woe to you. All of these amazing things that I have done, and you have not repented. It will be better on the day of judgment for Tyre, Sidon, and Sodom than it will be for you. Because Sodom and Gomorrah did not have miracles taking place. They were just a debased, wretched group of nasty individuals. Matter of fact, what's kind of ironic, um, not that that's ironic, but it's ironic for me. Um, I'm reading through the Bible this year. My wife and I are um, doing a, a reading plan, and we're reading through the Bible. And we're actually reading today about Sodom and Gomorrah with that whole story of Abraham, Lot, and, and Lot's family leaving you know, and, and begging, you know, hey, man, if, if, if there's 50 people, will you save Sodom? Yes. 45? Okay. How about 30? Bartering with God all the way down. Yes, if you can find 10 people, I'll save it. I'll, I'll spare it. Couldn't find 10. Two angels tell a lot, get your people and go. It's going to be bad. You might want to go now. Hurry. Go. They still struggled. The angels had to lead them by the hand out of town and say, get, go. Well, can we at least go over here? Yeah, fine, just, just go. Because as soon as you get there, it's going to be bad. But Jesus pronounces to these cities, it will be better on the day of judgment for Gomorrah and Sodom and Tyre and Sidon than it will be for you because I showed you who I am. I displayed my holy character. I am God. And you were like, eh. So? Can you imagine looking at God Almighty and going, so? We have a direct implication to us today. What is it with this passage? Is there a warning? Is there a shot fired across our bow today? Will God withhold his judgment on us as a nation just because we're good? Just because we're nice? Just because we're developed? Will God withhold his wrath on us as a nation just because we're enlightened? We're politically correct? We want everybody to feel good about themselves? Scary stuff, isn't it? 
So I want to turn the page a little bit. Turn the corner. What is repentance? When you think of repentance, he said, I showed you my mighty works, and you didn't repent. Let's unpackage repentance for a little bit. And in doing so, it's going to kind of bring us to this thoughtful conclusion of the last part of this passage. But I want to unpackage this a little bit with you. Um, when you think of repentance, what do you think of? We've talked about it a little bit before. I've even talked about it a little bit before. But when you hear the word repent or repentance, what, do you, what, what comes to mind? I'm sorry? Tur- turning away. It's a turning away. Is it, is it saying I'm sorry? Is it, is it asking for forgiveness? It, it's, it's connected with it. Forgiveness and asking for forgiveness is a recognition that you are in sin or you have done wrong. Repentance is the turning away from that which is sin. Does that make sense? Um. <clears throat> A heart that is not repentant is what? What would be some descriptions of a non-repentant heart? Hard? Yeah. Selfish? Prideful? Rebellious? All sounds, sounds pretty accurate, doesn't it? Because again, this is, this is a discussion of black and white, not gray. There is a tendency that, that I think we think that coming to Jesus means we have to get ourselves all cleaned up, right? Before we come to God. That's sometimes a mistake. In our thinking that we've got to be, we've got to, we've got to get it all together. So what we have is this, we have this pride that says, I'm good, I'm right. Look at me, I got it all together. And this is what I come to with Christ. Here you go, Jesus. Here I am. Look how good I am. I got it all together. Psalm 123, 39 and 40 says this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me. And what? And lead me to the way everlasting. Romans 12, 9 says this, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, and what? Hold fast to that which is good. What is good? don't Don't say it like we're supposed to because we're in Sunday school class. What is good? That should, that should bring us to a point of the oh my gosh moment. It's not that we go, oh, God is good. God is great and God is. And we thank him for our food. Do you ever notice that you can't sing that song correctly because it just doesn't rhyme very well? 
God is not just good. God is the standard of what is right, what is just, what is true, what is holy, what is good. So if we are to abhor sin, this is where we get a better picture of what repentance is really like. What is it that, that, that we are? By nature, we are what? We're sinners. There ain't nothing good in you. Did you hear me? Jesus said that. I didn't. But in our posturing toward God Almighty and our recognition of God Almighty, He calls us to abhor what is evil. stuck hang on abhor what is evil the, the the greek word abhor connotates these thoughts to hate to loathe to detest to literally have a horror of how many of you think today that that is the average christ followers view of sin says it has a battery that's working. We'll find out. Now I can't use my hands. Can you hold this for me? Just stand up. No, I'm just kidding. I still have one. All right. So if we are to abhor what is evil, that gives us a much clearer picture of what it means to live a repentant way. It is the active, constant turning away, turning our backs, because it should bring horror to our thought to do that. That this sinful thing, whatever it is, and you can pick any sin, any sin. I do not in any way, shape, or form want to give you the mindset that we should quantify sin. This one's worse than this one. This one is really worse than this one. This one's okay. How many of you ever been told, it's just a white lie? Like white is good, you know, white is holy. It's a white lie, it's not a black lie. Those are bad lies. It's just a white, it's just a little lie. For the wages of sin is death. The due payment for your little white lie is what? Is there any wiggle room on this? 
So living a repentant life means that the first thing we have to remember is that our hearts cannot be proud, cannot be self-serving, cannot be rebellious, cannot be ugly, cannot be nasty, because we have to turn from that which all of that is. Sin is nasty. Sin is death. Sin is decay. And we should have a loathsome, hateful, detestable attitude toward sin. Do we have that in the church today? This is uncomfortable conversation, y'all. I told you, it is. It's, 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 it's not fun. But this is the posture that we are supposed to have. And this is what Jesus was saying. It's going to be better for Sodom than it will be for you because you saw righteousness. Bethsaida, Chorazin, all of these other towns. You saw me do these works, Capernaum. You saw my majesty, my holiness, my divinity on display, and you did not repent. Ouch. Why repentance? Turn with me to Luke 24. After Jesus' resurrection, he's talking to them. And at verse 44, this is what Jesus says. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and prophets and Psalms must be fulfilled. Here he is again asserting that he is God Almighty. Well, he's already been resurrected from the dead. So again, another miracle that is, that is proof, right? Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to where? All the nations. This is another passage of the Great Commission. So why repentance? Why repentance? This is something that God wants. God desires repentant living. God demands and God desires in his people repentance. Not just, oops, I'm sorry, I did something wrong. But repentance to go, I abhor, detest, and see what the effect of sin is, which is death. And I am turning away and not looking back. Lot's wife looked back. Repentant living is that constant attitude of change, of turn, turning away, and moving in holiness. There's the sanctification. The justification, the forgiveness, the sanctification, the moving from unholiness and moving more in our lives towards 
the standard, the picture. Jesus, be holy for I am holy. That is our standard. If we are not there, which direction should we be headed? Back? Stuck? Yuck? Muck? Or forward in our holiness? There's a great philosopher, Toby Mack. He had a thinkling group called DC Talk. And they have a song called In the Light. And it says this, the disease of self runs through my blood. It's a cancer fatal to my soul. Every effort on my behalf to bring this sickness under control failed. Why? Because I can't do it. Repentance requires an attitude of humility. And in our day and age of moral relativism, that is not fun stuff to talk about. It is not fun stuff to talk about. Listen to this. There's a, a person back in 599 through 527 BC, Jaina, and I'm not even going to pronounce the last part. You can look it up, but this is what they state. That truth and reality are perceived differently from diverse points of view and that no single point of view is the complete truth. That's more relativism. The Greek philosopher Protagoras famously asserted that man is the measure of all things. The Greek historian Herodias observed that each society regards its own belief system and way of doing things as better than all others. See, moral relativism says that we should be tolerant. You did something wrong? Eh, okay. Well, you say it's wrong for you, but it's not really wrong for me. So let's be tolerant of each other, right? Let's let things slide. After all, all measure of truth is measured by man. It's what I make it to be. The truth that I want to be truth is truth that I make. I am my own God. I am the master and commander of my destiny and my fate. So let's all be tolerant. And that works great until somebody else is intolerant of your tolerance. And you become intolerant of their tolerance. Right? Tolerance is great until somebody comes up and slaps you in the face. Well, I didn't think that that was wrong. It's not wrong to me. So you should be tolerant of that, right? Wrong. Man is not the standard. So in understanding repentance, there has to be that understanding of the standard that God Almighty is, that Jesus is. So when Jesus is chewing them out, he said, I gave you the standard. I revealed who I am as God Almighty, and you 
did not repent. Okay? Now everybody go like this. Because we're going to take a break. Kids, if you would come on up. Miss Kathy's going to be teaching our lesson today, and then we have a special song after that, right? So kids, come on up. I'm going to take a breath, take a breather, take a commercial break and start drinking some tea. And Miss Kathy, you've got the kids, right? Awesome. Hello. It's good to see all of you here. Okay, what did Miss Maya, if you were here last Sunday, what did she tell us about the people that Jesus had with him? What did they do for a living? Who remembers? They were fishermen, that's right. So that's why we've got these boats up here, right? Because fishermen, do they use boats? Yes. Okay. Um, so today, I want to ask you, first of all, is there anything that you're scared of? Yeah. Sharks. Okay. Pythons. Yes, sweetheart. The dark. Mm, the dark can be scary. I'm going to tell you a secret. Don't tell anybody, okay? Anything else? Is anybody scared of a storm? Well, they were last week's story about how they caught fish, okay? So are you scared? Who's scared of a storm? Raise your hand. Sometimes they can be a little scary, and storms do do damage, don't they? Okay. Who can tell me what a miracle is? Anybody ever heard that? Yeah. Oh, yes. Thank you. Passing to you. Do you know what a miracle is, young man? It's something that happened really good. That's right. It's something really good that only God can do. So today, we're going to talk about... Um, an account that Matthew and Mark gave about a miracle that Jesus did. Well, this day, Jesus had taught and taught and a lot of people, and he was tired. Do you ever get tired? Do the moms and dads ever get tired? We've got some homeschooling moms. Maybe you get tired after you teach all day. Well, Jesus, he'd been with all these crowds of people, and they were listening to him teach, and sick people came, and made he made them well, because only Jesus has the power to do that, right? So the sun was going down, and it was getting dark, and he said to, what's that word I use for Jesus' special helpers? What's that word? Disciples, very good. So he and his disciples, that's Jesus' special friends, they were tired. So he said, hey, let's get in the boats and let's go to the other side of the lake. 
well, how are the boats going to get to the other side of the lake? Do they have motors? They, so can we row the boats? Can you help? We're rowing the boat. The water, we're rowing the boats. We're rowing the boats. Well, while they were rowing the boats, Jesus was really tired, and he went to the back of the boat, and he went sound asleep. He's sound asleep. All of a sudden, this wind came down on the lake, and literally a hurricane-like storm started up. So the water was calm, and all of a sudden it's like this, and that boat was just getting shaken and shaken and shaken. And who's still asleep? Jesus is still in the back of the boat. Well, I'm telling you, if I was in a boat and it's doing like this out there, I'm like, what's he thinking? So they run to Jesus and they say, wake up, we're about to die. Jesus opens his eyes. He might have rubbed his head. Do you ever rub your eyes when you wake up sometimes? And he looked at him and he said, what are you so afraid of? Now, I'm telling you, it's doing this. And he's going, what are you afraid of? What's going on? And he looked at the storm and with a firm voice, this might be a mommy voice, he said, quiet, be still. He wasn't talking to the disciples. He was talking to the storm. And it was quiet. Now, immediately, that means like that. The disciples looked at one another. Who is this guy? Even the waves, the wind, and the rain obey his voice. Jesus Christ has power over all things. When we're afraid, and those guys were afraid, do you think they were in their right mind to be afraid? Yeah. I mean, we're human beings, right? But when we're afraid, we can always know that we serve a God who is over all things. Can you say that with me? Jesus Christ has power over all things. Amen. And our verse today is from the book of Matthew, chapter 8, verse 27. And it says, And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? What these guys do for a living? Fish. Fish. You think they knew about the sea and the wind? I think they did. It was their business, too. And they said, This guy is different. He has command over all things. So always remember that. We serve Jesus Christ who has power over all things.
All right, Miss Maya, you got a song? All right. So as we um, come back around and wrap this up, we're going we're gonna to look at the last part of the passage um, today. So after, after Jesus in his, in his righteousness, in his holiness, in his divinity, pronounces judgment, And we see that the desired outcome by God Almighty is repentance, humility, which is none of which these cities are displaying. 
he goes on to say this. Let's check this out. Jesus says at this time, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding. That's not a compliment, by the way. And you've revealed them to the little children, those with that childlike faith. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Wow. That's in contrast to what he said to these cities. I showed you these mighty works. I revealed to you God. And you didn't repent. Then look at what he says in verse 28. Come. Come to me all who, are, who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. When we humble ourselves. And we say no to self. No to sin. No to flesh. And yes to God. Coming to him. He gives us what? Rest. That's that beautiful picture of perfect peace. Peace in the midst of a storm. Peace in the midst of chaos. Peace in the midst of all of the mess that's been going on. Come to me and I will give you rest. Your soul has been fighting. Your soul has been at war. Your soul has been dying. And when you say no to all of that, because you say yes, I will give you rest. And then here's the interesting component to this. This is, this is not, again, where, oh, cool, so now that I've confessed Jesus as Lord, I just get to kind of just kind of just smooth sailing from here on out. Mm -mm. And, and Jesus reveals that because what does he say? You've had the yoke of slavery. You've had the yoke of sin. And you've been led by that to your destruction, right? But what does he say? Take my yoke. I am the plowmaster, and my yoke that I am placing on you is what? One that you learn. So taking upon my yoke, you learn. There's, a, again, an attitude of humility. Let me teach you. Let me show you. Let me lead you. So that plowmaster has placed his yoke 
with a beautiful, perfect intention of leading you rightly. Let me teach you. Let me show you. Learn of me. For I am gentle. And the perfect picture of humility, of a pure heart of humility. I am the picture of perfected humility, of love. Y- y- you see? So, so where you have Jesus displaying his justice and his wrath because of his righteousness, he gives the other side of the picture. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus once again reveals the Father, reveals that he is of the Father, coming down. There is that relationship, the Father and the Son, and He is the Son, and God is the Father, and there is that perfect union, you see? So He reveals God. He reveals that He is God. Isn't that that just a beautiful word picture? And then, come, learn of me. I will give you rest. So Jesus, being fully God and fully man, revealed himself in such a beautiful picture as to say, I am God. There is wrath. I desire repentance. Through your humility, coming to me, I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light doesn't mean that you're never going to work again. It means that you're going to be led by God. You're going to be led by Christ as that perfect plowmaster. Take my yoke upon you, upon you and learn of me. Learn of my ways. Be at peace in this relationship. And I will give you rest. Where's the ultimate of rest? The beautiful picture of the completion of our journey, right? So again, he gives that picture. We don't just sit here and do nothing. We are moving on. There is work. But it is work that is led by God Almighty. God is good, isn't he? Wrath, repentance, humility, and peace. All displayed by Jesus Christ in this passage. How encouraging is that for us today? Amen. Perry, as you make your way up, I guess you're going to be closing. Would you stand with me? Father in heaven, we want to thank you. You sent your son. 
there was a plan. Jesus, fully God and fully man, obedient to that plan. And you've called us to walk in the light. Those mighty works that were revealed to those cities and they did not repent should shake us to our core, should humble us. You've called us to walk in repentance. You've called us to take serious our attitude towards sin. And you've placed your yoke upon us to lead us, to guide us in the way everlasting. With humble hearts, may we continue to put our faith, our hope, and our trust in you as you lead us in the way everlasting. For your yoke is easy and your burden is light. But God, I would be remiss if I did not call the church to action. Because we, church, cannot take this message and go home and, and, and feel good about ourselves. We need to go home with sober understanding that God has called us to be light. To take this message of forgiveness and repentance and salvation that Jesus brings. And share that with those that are lost. Give us the courage to do so, Father, as we trust in you, as you lead, and as you guide. In the name of Jesus, we pray.